0: Well, like you, I've been saddened by the unfolding tragedy in Davenport uh, when an apartment building partially collapsed this past Sunday night, leaving at least three people unaccounted for, several severely injured. Many others had to flee without their belongings, leaving them homeless. One woman I met on Tuesday told me she was previously homeless She got a job at Dollar General, moved into that apartment building, and now is homeless again. I didn't even know what to say to her. So I prayed, and I gave her an anchor for the Soul Book. This event has headline network broadcast, and it's unleashed all sorts of feelings in our community. The situation continues to remain fluid. It continues to unfold. Uh, So I recognize that some of my information may not be accurate this morning. Uh, Though I did hear uh, late last night that one of the three who've been unaccounted for, Brandon Colvin, has been identified and is deceased. Uh, But also, uh, Daniel Priam and Ryan Hitchcock. Uh, are still unaccounted for, as far as I know. I've been downtown five times this week to pray for people and to give out copies of Anchor for the Soul. Interestingly, I didn't see something coming. Uh, On Tuesday, I stopped in where there's a Catholic rescue mission, and I met the director, I met the priest, and I handed him a copy of Anchor for the Soul. (laughs) He was very gracious. He took the book. He paged through it, kind of looked at the table of contents, and he said, do you have any more? (laughs) And I said, yeah, I can get you a whole box. I said, I'll bring Spanish and English. So I went back on Wednesday, gave him a full box of Anchor for the Souls, and I just smiled as I walked away, thanking God that a pastor who's a former Catholic himself was able to give a box of gospel books to a Catholic priest who will be distributing them in the days to come. Only God can do that. So Pastor Ed Heading from Pleasant View Baptist Church joined me on Tuesday, and we simply practiced the power of presence. We were just down there. In fact, this picture is from Tuesday. And we just went up to people, and we said, Do you know somebody from the building? And a lot of people did, a lot of family there, and we just asked if we could pray for them. The situation was surreal, as we could look into apartments where people lived and see their clothes still on hangers. In the midst of all of that, All the weeping and the sadness, there was a lot of protesting and yelling, and and there's a lot going on that day. On Thursday night, after praying for Brandon Jr., so Brandon's the father who's been identified as deceased, Brandon Jr. is 18 years old, just graduated from Rocky yesterday. On Thursday night, he was up by the fence this is before they put the barrier over the fence, and he was just looking at the building where his, where his dad lived. And I saw this man about my age make his way through the crowd, and he went up to Brandon and he just gently touched him on the shoulder, and he handed him a hundred dollars. And Brandon, very humbly, he 's a great guy. He, He said, no, thank you. Well, one of Brandon's family members said, Brandon, you're graduating from high school this week. You you could use that. And so Brandon graciously accepted that money. And then I went up to the man, and so now I'm, I'm hearing them talk. And this man said, I want you to have it because my dad died when I was your age. And so then I had some opportunity to talk to this generous man and I just thanked him for his generosity and um, stuff like that's happening around the Quad Cities. I don't know if you're aware, but Arconic made a $50,000 donation uh, this past week. There's some connections here to Edgewood as well. One, One of our guests this past Sunday, his name is Todd, he lived in that building. And he moved out on Friday before this happened on Sunday. I was able to pray for an Edgewood member, um, for someone else who grew up here at Edgewood, and for another former member who are all related to Ryan Hitchcock. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 says this, From the tribe of Issachar there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives, and all these men understood the signs of the times and they knew the best course for Israel to take. Like you, I haven't known how to respond. And I didn't know how we should respond as a church. So just just rested in that and praying that God would lead. And I wrote down a few things and these are available on cards which are available out in the Welcome Center. Here's the first thing the power of presence. So let's live on mission wherever we are and ask God for practical ways that he can use each of us as salt and light in our decaying and dark, dark world. Perhaps you know someone who's been affected. I think you had mentioned that you work with somebody or know somebody who works with somebody. That's probably the case for many of us. We know somebody who knows somebody. Here's the deal. Just practice presence. Ask God to give you an opportunity to come close. It might be helping in some way that, that you don't even know about, but certainly to let them know that you care. Reach out with the gospel and with deeds of mercy. Uh, secondly, and this actually should be first, is to pray. Uh, we had an impromptu Facebook live prayer time on Tuesday night, and then believers from over a dozen churches in the Quad Cities gathered together on Wednesday night at Leclerc Park in Davenport, that's just down the street from that building And if you didn't hear about either of those, just understand that we were just scrambling and getting the word out as quickly as we could. We decided on that prayer time late Tuesday, and it took place on Wednesday. As you consider this tragedy, spend time praying for those still missing and for those dear families and for our community. Number three, give financially. As a church, we immediately gave $1,500 from our benevolence fund, like right away, and I was able to take that uh, to the Salvation Army, and if you want to give financially, there's many different places you can do that. I'd encourage you to consider the Salvation Army uh, because they are a gospel-focused ministry. Their address and a QR code are, are on these cards. Uh, Next, to donate items. Uh, In communication with the Salvation Army, they said that they're taking clothing donations, and another of their locations is receiving personal hygiene items. Uh, And the River Bend Food Bank is taking food donations. Uh, Another possibility is I've been asking the Lord that, Lord, help us to partner with ministries that are already involved in uh, one of my pastor friends, he attends the Pastor Roundtable uh, with uh, about 20 other pastors. His name is Neil McReynolds. He's pastor of City Church. That church is one block from the building. And he has seven residents from his church um, who attend his church. So um, he is, has identified those seven individuals, and once uh, they figure out more what needs to be done, I asked him to let us know how we could be of help in coming alongside these individuals with furniture, clothing, food, whatever they need. Um, And if you'd like to partner with them, even on an individual basis, there's a phone number on the card and even an email. You could shoot an email and say, hey, when you're ready, I'm ready. And then we'll try to coordinate efforts if if, if there's a need for the whole church. Um, because I've built a relationship with the volunteer coordinator at the Salvation Army, uh, I got a call from her on Friday, and she asked us to serve meals to the rescue and recovery team. There's about 45 uh, people here. They're with the Iowa Task Force, and uh, you see them on the news now. They're, they're just doing a phenomenal job. Um, and our community is so generous. Restaurants are providing the food. The Salvation Army has a canteen. It's like a food truck that they serve out of, and so she asked me if Edgewood could provide some people to serve the food. And before checking with anybody, I said absolutely. <laughs> and then I said, "How many do you need?" <laughs> when I realized it was just like ten uh, for the next couple days, but if if there's more need, we'll we'll jump on that. And so. Um, Kenny and Holly Bailey served yesterday. They had previously mentioned they wanted to help. Not surprisingly, if you know Donna Glynn, she was the first to respond after we posted that need online. She responded within six minutes. <laughs> uh, last night, Reg, Regan Labarge, she's in our mainspring ministry, Jerry Ward, who's in a study this morning in the men's group, and his grandson, Eli Gustafson, Uh, served dinner last night, and the booker seated out here will be serving tonight at 7, and then we have others serving tomorrow, and we'll see uh, what other needs come from that. I want to publicly acknowledge my fellow pastors in the Quad Cities. I want to acknowledge the police officers, firemen who went into that building and rescued people, paramedics, dispatchers, the rescue and recovery team that is there right now. When they arrived, about 45 of them, they all held hands and a chaplain prayed for them before they went into the building. Early on, right after this happened, perhaps you've heard this story, it's been on the news, uh, The first responders called in an area surgeon, and the surgeon came in in order to save a woman, amputated her leg on site, but that ended up they were able to rescue her. And I'm just reminded of all the work that doctors and physician assistants, nurses and technicians, and so many other people that I'm not even mentioning or I can't think to mention all of them and and so with that I want to lead us in prayer right now because that's what God wants us to do and would you join me God we thank you that in the midst of this tragedy uh, so many people ask where's God in all this Lord you're right there you sent your son Jesus into our sin-soaked world into our grief and our pain Lord, we pray now you would bring comfort to these dear family members, some who are rocked at the confirmation of the loss of their loved one and others who still are waiting. Lord, may you uh, mobilize your believers, your remnant all over the Quad Cities uh, to minister grace, minister the gospel, and minister acts and deeds of mercy. Lord, we also want to pray for the leaders uh, in uh, our community. Lord, for government officials, for engineers, for local businesses who've been affected. But Lord, I just keep circling back to the families of Brandon and Ryan and Daniel. And Lord, then now, would you use us as a church? We don't want to just watch what's happening uh, Lord, we want to be involved because those are those are our brothers, our dads, our sons, our cousins. This is our community, and Lord, you've put us here, and you ask us as believers to pray for the peace of our community, and we do that. Lord, there's so much pain and and questions and confusion. Lord, we pray uh, for peace to reign. And Lord, we know that that comes from the gospel of peace. Lord, now as we look to your word, thank you for the timeliness of what you have for us today. Uh, Lord, would you be our teacher now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we kick off the summer, I wanted to share with you uh, how God has led us to our new sermon series. We're calling this Standing firm. will be in the book of 2 Timothy. Now, initially, I had planned to preach through the book of Colossians. That is, until when following the Edgewood Bible reading plan, I read, like many of you, the book of 2 Timothy. And I was gripped. I was gripped by the call to be unshaken In a culture that's just rocked with so many things. And with the call to be unashamed of the gospel. Well, those two words make up our theme for this fall. We're going to be doing a special focus this fall. A seven-week emphasis that we're calling unshaken and unashamed. And we're going to focus on apologetics, what we believe, why we believe it, and how we communicate that, and worldview, how do we develop a biblical worldview. So this study this summer will lay the foundation for our study this fall. Now, we'll take breaks from the series. Uh, I'll be out of town a couple weekends. We'll, on Father's Day, we'll do a special focus on dads as disciplers. Uh, On a personal note, Beth and I are in countdown mode. Our youngest daughter, Megan, and her husband, Lucas, await the arrival of their first baby due today. So if I run out while I'm preaching, you know what happened. (laughs) I wrote down four words that summarize this book. Check this out. It's personal. It's really pastoral. Very practical, and we're going to see it is extremely passionate. Here's our main idea. Fan the flame of faith so you remain faithful when tough times come. I see five points of application for us in these tumultuous times. Number one, intentionally invest in the next generation. Paul's introduction is found in verses 1 and 2. Join me there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, most of Paul's letters, not all of them, but most of them are written to believers in a specific location who are part of a local church. For instance, the book of Ephesians written to believers at the city of Ephesus. First and second Corinthians written to the church that's gathered in the city of Corinth. But he also wrote letters that were more personal in nature and addressed to specific individuals like 1st and 2nd Timothy and the book of Titus. Here he singles out Timothy and he refers to him as his beloved child. Beloved refers to somebody dear, highly valued. And he calls him his child, not because he was his physical child, but because he had become a spiritual son to him. And after greeting him with grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul became quite personal in his feelings. And all this led him to pray tirelessly for Pastor Tim. Check out verse 3, I thank God whom I serve As did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you, how often? Constantly in my prayers, and notice he says, night and day. So when Paul remembered Timothy, he prayed for him unceasingly, incessantly. It means a lot to be thought of, doesn't it? When we think of someone, well, we should thank them. And Pray for them. I remember back remember during all that crazy time during covid Beth and I it was a Sunday afternoon a whole stream of cars drove by our house and they were honking their horns and when I went outside in my socks (laughs) a couple Edgewood kids got out of the cars and they ran up and just handed us a plate of cookie they turned around and jumped back in the car and drove away. And I noticed the window of one car had these words on it. Thank you for all you do. Gather, grow, give, and go with the gospel. Another car was covered with hearts. That drive-by blessing was done for all the pastors on our team. Now, Paul was honking his horn for Timothy. He's like, Timothy, I'm praying for you. When I think of you, I thank you. Now, Timothy, at this point, was the pastor of a church. He was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, a church that had all sorts of issues and struggles. Timothy had spent time traveling with Paul for many months previous to that. So when we come to verse 4, see how all of that triggered a memory for Paul. It's so tender. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, here's the context. The Apostle Paul is in his last imprisonment in Rome. He's like in this dungeon, like this hole in the ground. It's dark, it's damp, and he's not getting out of there alive. He's just about to be martyred. And so he knows he's going to heaven And so he thinks of Timothy, and he's like, Oh, Timothy, when I think of you, I long to see you. It had been about 11 years since they last saw one another. So Timothy represented the next generation of emerging Christian leadership. Paul was old. He's just about to pass on to glory. Timothy was in his 20s or perhaps 30s and pastoring a challenging church. Paul was committed to encourage and equip the next generation. And the older I get, the more convinced I am that I must pass along what I know before I pass away. Timothy was not only young, but if you look at the last part of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, he struggled with frequent ailments. He was sick a lot. On top of that, he was timid by temperament. So here's this young pastor who was sick a lot, and he was very timid. Actually, I find that encouraging. It doesn't matter if you're young, if you're physically frail, or if you're timid. God can use you. Now, in verse 5, Paul honors Timothy's spiritual heritage by celebrating how God used his mother and his grandmother. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandma and in your mom, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This was one of the texts that Pastor Kyle uh, taught on last weekend. and didn't he do a great job explaining the importance of honoring our heritage And leaving a legacy for the next generation? So Beth and I were here last weekend, and at 9 o'clock, I went down to the lower level, and I visited all of our children's ministry classes, our nursery, our junior high, our senior high groups, and several of our adult growth groups, and I was blown away. By how many times, just in that brief visit, I either heard the word gospel or I heard the gospel being taught. With Bibles open in our adults downstairs, with kids learning about Jesus, with so much love and training for the next generation. My favorite experience, though, was going into the junior high class. Uh, they meet be right below this area. And I opened the door. I caught the eye of the teacher to let the teacher know I was there, but none of the girls in the class knew I was there. And so they were they were having a discussion, and it got onto video games. So these teenage girls were talking about video games, and one of them turned around and she saw me, and she screamed. She said, "I didn't know you were in here." She said, "I don't play that game." I promise. And I was like, sure. I think she's afraid I was going to tell her parents. So, friends, fan the flame of faith so that you remain faithful because tough times are coming. Number two leads right into this point fan the flame of fervency. I'm in verses six and seven. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. The phrase fan into flame means to stir up or keep at full flame. It was used of hot coals or embers. It has the idea of rekindling and rekindling something that's starting to smolder. See, a fire left to itself, if it doesn't have fuel, will burn out. And so it must be stirred up with fresh fuel, fresh focus. Well, let's bring it to where we live. We must do whatever it takes to stir up that inner fire. Because for some of us, that fire is going out or it's smoldering. Now, one way to do that is by intentionally sharing the gospel with people. I memorized a verse in the book of Philemon many years ago in the NIV, the old NIV that came out in 1984. It goes like this. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. So... One way to keep the flame going is to be actively sharing the gospel with people. Here's why. Because when you do, you rehearse the gospel truth like, yes, without Christ, I'm lost. I'm hopeless. You recount the truth of his substitutionary death and his resurrection. It reminds us of every good thing we have in Christ. So let's look at the converse. What happens if we're not sharing our faith? Well, we get bored with it. We get judgmental of people. We're like, well, look at what they're doing. But when we share our faith, it fires us up, keeps us from being stagnant. 1 Timothy 4.14, Timothy was told, do not neglect the gift you have. Here he's told to actively fan it into flame. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit, which means it's possible to quench the spirit. And so we're to keep fuel on the fire. Now we can infer that Timothy struggled with fear, with being timid. One commentator points out 25 times in Paul's two letters to Timothy, he's urged to be bold, to stand firm, to not cave, to not be shaken, to not be ashamed. To not compromise. Question. Do you struggle with being timid in your faith? Do you go quiet instead of speaking up? Is fear causing your flame to flicker? Do you need to stir it up? Notice Paul doesn't say we're to start the fire but rather stir up the fire that's already burning inside. Stop holding back. Serve with all you have because everyone can do something for God and most of us can do more than one thing. Gather with God's people without making excuses. Intentionally grow in your faith. Give what you've been given. Go with the gospel. I wanted to just follow up. In two weeks, we'll collect these baby bottles. If you didn't pick one up yet, these go to Pregnancy Resources. They're one of our Go Team partners. And also, we have more booklets of this. This is a book of every uh, Go Team partner, every missionary we support with pictures and email addresses. Great tool for us to use in praying for and connecting with our partners. Friends, it's time to be passionate not passive. Paul reminded Timothy that God had already equipped him in three ways. Would you see them here? Power. You have the power. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh, Micah 2.8, But as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. But notice, secondly, power is balanced by love. Oh, we see that with Jesus as he got down and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. That's power and love. We need to be gracious with people looking to give mercy to those trapped in sin. And finally, self-control. That is the idea of being disciplined and calm and orderly. It refers to this inner self-government. It's the opposite of being panicked. Friends, get this, God's gifts need to be used or they will atrophy. So fan the flame of faith so you remain faithful when tough times come. Number three, persevere when persecution comes. I'm in verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So for about 25 years, the Christian faith multiplied fairly quickly with some pushback, some persecution. That all changed in AD 64 when Nero burned Rome and blamed it on Christians, ushering in a tsunami of persecution. One pastor put it like this, suddenly being a Christian became dangerous and a sometimes deadly affair. It wasn't popular to mention your faith in public. In addition, false teachers had crept into positions of influence in many local churches. Paul saw all of these ominous developments and knew things would get worse before they get better. Sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Shame and the certainty of suffering keep many of us from speaking up. For Christ. And like you, I have to battle this every time I have a gospel opportunity. Paul knew Timothy struggled in these areas. So he emphasized it at least once in each chapter. Uh, check it out. We've already been in the chapter one, but now chapter two, verse three. Share in suffering as a good soldier. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say might be or maybe, uh, will be persecuted. And chapter 4, verse 5, endure suffering. Let me go back to Tuesday down in downtown Davenport. When my pastor friend and I were there, we experienced not only people weeping and wanting to be prayed for, but a lot of anger and a lot of vitriol. At one point, I was in the middle of praying for someone. I had asked him if I could pray for him. And he said, well, I'm not going to pray. I said, that's fine. And I was feeling bold, so I said, can I just pray? I'll do a really quick prayer. He's like, yeah, I guess. So I prayed a really quick prayer. But even in that short prayer, as I was nearing the end of it, I heard a woman start yelling. And when I opened my eyes, she had her finger like this, pointing to Pastor Ed and I, Ed Heading and I, and saying words like this, you are not welcome here. Get out of here. Now, I could tell very quickly that this could escalate easily. And one of the women had a T-shirt on, which, well, let me just say, I'll put it mildly, she was not espousing biblical values. While we were being berated, another woman came up and she was waving an American flag while loudly propagating her strong political views, which were the exact opposite of the other three women. And I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. I could tell this was going to go south. And so I spoke up quickly and I said, listen. And I pointed to the building. I said, we're here to help people. We're not here to yell about our personal views or what we might believe politically. We're not here for any reason other than to offer prayer. And then Pastor Ed and I just walked away and looked for someone else to pray for. Now, I reflected on that encounter. I I realized that's, well, that's a parable for our roles as believers in our enraged culture today. Have you noticed our culture is enraged? Listen, hear me on this. Instead of espousing our personal or political views, as important as those are, let me remind us of our number one responsibility. As believers in Jesus Christ, we've been commissioned with a message We're to be present with people, offering them hope and healing that only Jesus Christ can provide. We're to be salt and light in a decaying and dark world. If we don't do that, we'll just end up yelling at each other, and people will end up not hearing the message of the gospel. This is also a reminder to persevere when pushback comes. And when persecution comes our way, because it is, it will. Incidentally, while we were there, a psychic got hold of a bullhorn and started saying some really crazy things. We also encountered a false teacher who was espousing heresy. An individual referred to this individual as an apostle When I was there Thursday night, three members of a cult showed up. And it reminded me, it took me back to 2 Timothy. Here's young Timothy in his 20s or 30s pastoring a church when false teaching was entering the church internally many times. And he was dealing with persecution externally. So brothers and sisters, settle this. Persecution is promised to the believer. One pastor said it like this, I'm afraid we've sanitized Jesus and we've disinfected the cross, making it all safe. So let me go somewhere right now. and I'm pausing on purpose because I want you to hear this and hopefully you hear my heart in it too. I know many believers who openly deny the prosperity gospel and yet somehow think that they will somehow avoid adversity and skate around suffering. And unfortunately, when tough times come, some believers end up questioning God's goodness. God, how could you do this to me? Or even questioning his existence, becoming bitter and pulling back from church, angry at God for the rest of their lives. Friends, hear me on this. Jesus promises to give us peace but he also promises persecution. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Yes. In the world, you will have tribulation. He's preparing the disciples for what they were going to encounter. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Okay, let me say it as clearly as I can. Jesus didn't teach the prosperity gospel. He taught the persecution gospel. Are you with me there? Or am I up here by myself? This is really a hard truth. But it's true. And when we share the gospel boldly, suffering comes with it. It always goes together. One pastor says, if you decide to go public with your faith, someone is not going to like it and you'll pay a price for your faith eventually. Friends, fan the flame of faith so you remain faithful when tough times come. Number four, get grounded in the gospel. Friends, now more than ever, we have to get grounded in the gospel because the gospel is under attack, attack both inside and outside the church. Uh, Join me in verses 9 through 11, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Friends, the gospel must be preserved for it to be proclaimed. We've been saved by grace and set apart for gospel purposes. Death has been abolished, and we've been given life and immortality because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? And so if we die for our faith, then we live with the Lord forever in heaven. Remember, that's Paul writing this right before he's martyred. Fan the flame of faith so you remain faithful when tough times come. Number five, live convictionally without compromise. Check out verse 12 and listen for how the themes of being unashamed and being prepared to suffer are repeated which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Did you catch that? Paul says, I know whom I have believed. He doesn't say, I know what I believe. Well, that's important for sure. But he says, I know whom I believe. I think of Job's confident confession, even while his world is falling apart, in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of the book of Job, Job 19.25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Or Psalm 56, 9, this I know that God is for me. Spurgeon captured it like this. I know the person into whose hand I have committed my present condition and my eternal destiny. I know who he is, and I therefore, without any hesitation, leave myself in his hands. That word convinced means to be fully persuaded. My mind goes to Romans 4.21, where we read Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So when you're feeling fearful and timid like Timothy, remember that God is guarding what has been entrusted to you. In 1 Timothy 6.20, we read Timothy was also responsible to guard what he'd been given. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. God does his part, and we must do Ours. When we give Jesus our life, He is fully able to keep it. I want to apply this message today with an illustration. This just took place this week. And I read from John Stone Street, who heads up the ministry called Breakpoint. After a bit of back and forth, the Los Angeles Dodgers have decided to feature the Drag Group. Here's their name sisters of perpetual indulgence during their Pride Month celebrations and even award them a Community Hero Award. The sisters are a mockery of a Catholic religious order and they perform blasphemous parodies of Christianity. They dress as nuns, men dress as nuns, and then they do drag events. Here's their tagline. Go forth and sin some more. That's a perversion of the words of Jesus. There's other examples of their acts too evil to mention. Well, there have been a couple L.A. Dodgers players who've spoken up. And one in particular really got my attention. His name is Blake Trainen. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the last name right. He's a relief pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. He's on the injured reserve right now, but he's on the team. This is what he said. I am disappointed to see the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence being honored as heroes at Dodger Stadium. Many of their performances are blasphemous, and their work only displays hate and mockery of Catholics and the Christian faith. I understand that playing baseball is a privilege and not a right. Okay, listen. listen to this. My convictions in Jesus Christ will always come first. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe the word of God is true. And Galatians 6 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This group openly mocks Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of my faith. And I want to make it clear. I do not agree with nor support the decision of the Dodgers to honor the sisters of perpetual indulgence. He ends it this way. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, and like you, I applaud that. But, but here's the thing. Are, are we willing to do that? I mean, he could lose his job over that. He could be traded. He's already being ripped apart. How about you? Do you speak up? Do I speak up in my neighborhood, in your workplace, when the issue of pronouns comes up? Like, oh, well, now it becomes very personal, right? Friends, we have to fan the flame of faith to remain faithful when tough times come. In 1933, the threat of Nazi power was growing in Germany, and many were concerned about the compromise of the church with the Nazi movement. Uh, Seeing the weaknesses of many German pastors and their lack of preparation for obedience to Christ and resistance to the regime, regime, the confessing church sensed the need for stronger training. So in 1935, Dietrich Bonhoeffer created an underground seminary that would match orthodox belief with orthodox practice. His vision was for an intentional Christian community committed to living out the ethic Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, in the providence of God, a large empty house was available in the rural town of Finkenwald. Seminary life centered on prayer, the scriptures, confession, shared rhythms of life, and much of the vision is included in Bonhoeffer's two very well-known works, Life Together and the Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer wrote during this period, quote, "...the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer." Their daily rhythm of life together was built on a vision for a new kind of disciple, one characterized by fidelity to Jesus Christ despite the cost. This robust vision of discipleship would be tested as the Gestapo would eventually arrest more than two dozen seminary students. When Bonhoeffer's pastor friends began to read copies of his sermons and hear reports about the intensity of the discipleship at the seminary, you would think they'd say, you go, man, we're with you. That wasn't their response. They started asking questions like, is this formation truly necessary? Hey, you're going to burn the students out. Are they going to lose credibility? Are they going to be seen as too extreme by the national leadership. Well, one friend in particular was so bothered, he traveled to see, he lived in Berlin, he came up, met with Bonhoeffer, his name is Wilhelm Neisel, and he came up saying he was suspicious of too much spiritualism. And so Bonhoeffer decided to take Nysel on a rowing trip. One author described the scene, so see if you can picture it in your mind. When the two rowers reached the far shore, Bonhoeffer led Nysel up a small hill to a clearing from which they could see in the distance a vast field and the runways of a nearby squadron. German fighter planes were taking off and landing. Soldiers moved hurriedly in purposeful patterns like so many ants. Bonhoeffer spoke of a new generation of Germans in training whose disciplines were formed, quote, for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And Bonhoeffer turned to his pastor friend and said it would be necessary to propose a superior discipline if the Nazis were to be defeated. These are his words. You have to be stronger than these tormentors that you find everywhere today what he was doing in the seminary had to be stronger than what hitler was doing with his army discipleship must be stronger than cultural formation loyalty to the lord must be stronger than compromise here's what he was really saying this must be stronger than that this must be stronger than what's in the world today. Friends, it's time for us to recalibrate around the gospel and to fan the flame of faith so you and I remain faithful when tough times come. And if you want to make an impact in our hurting community, this, what's inside of you, your fire must be stronger than what the world is offering. And I'm afraid right now the church is not stronger and we're getting consumed by what's around us. Man, I went to preaching there. Are you ready for this to be stronger (laughs) than that?